Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1987, four childhood friends were reunited after 10 years to investigate the murder of a mentor they all shared. During this time, they unlocked the deep secrets of the past and found themselves exposed to the darkness that surrounded them. Soon it became more than a fight for justice, and instead it became a fight against the ultimate evil. Six months later, in the winter of 1988, bonded by their knowledge of the dark unknown, they have decided to no longer be the victim. Now they seek out the deep roots of satanic corruption that hides in the shadows of society, all the while trying to mentor a new companion, seeking justice for the death of his cousin. Institutionalized is the second story arc in the Chronicles of Darkness first edition story, The Ultimate Evil, set in Bismarck, North Dakota in 1988. Join us in this tale of satanic horror with Wayne, played by Adam, Che, played by Andrew, Alex, played by Mitch, Michael, played by Slavic, and the newcomer Derek, played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to The Ultimate Evil with our second story, Institutional Lies. The four of you see this brown Oldsmobile drive off down the road as fat snowflakes start falling from the gray sky. It's been a pretty cold and bitter fall, and now you can see that slowly becoming winter after this turmoil that you guys just survived. You're standing in the gravel driveway of this ranch that is before you, made of wood. And you know that there's a street to your right, the ranch is to your left, and the street to your right is blocked off with thick pine trees for privacy of whoever owned this ranch. You all had tied off your horses to a fence that was on the other side of the pine trees. You hear their tails whisking, and you see these snowflakes slowly fall on the ground in front of you as you all still stand remained in silence. You know that Raymond, Che's grandfather, said that on the f- morning of the fourth day, he would come by with the trailer in case you guys had came back to load up the horses that he had leased for you and to pick you all up. This right now is the late afternoon of the third day, which means that you would have to camp out here until he came. Now, before we go any further, I'd like to know what's going on in each of your heads right now. So we will start with Wayne Coleman. Wayne, you found out something pretty traumatic. You found out through these visions, you guys haven't really talked about it, but you found out that this man, that's what he could be called at the time, had cursed you in a way. And that may very well be the reason why your father died and your brother committed suicide. What kind of feelings and emotions does that bring up in you when you think about that now and contemplate on that now? Wayne would feel a lot of things after returning from what just happened and after after learning the, the types of, of things that he was shown by, by Raymond and the, the other visions that he had. On one hand, he feels uh, a little bit unburdened because he, he now kind of understands that it wasn't necessarily his fault that things in his life took the turn that they did. And it also gives him this sense of, of faith 
he feels this this newfound faith and he 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 also feels this fear that evil exists and evil is real and he's seen it with his own eyes something that can't really be explained you know it's a so he he would believe in curses and stuff like that he would believe that that this is something that's possible he just saw he just witnessed evil with his own eyes and it it really changes things for him uh somebody who just you know was was kind of wandering aimlessly in life up until being reconnected with the group and now kind of having this this picture be completed for him in a way is is what it seems like to him you know he he feels like the old man told him and what the old man said came true and he he feels this uh just this sense of amazement and this sense of faith yeah because it's been quite a journey that wayne had because like you said wayne wasn't really doing anything with his life was really actually kind of under this like fugue state with repeating every day working at the gas station with the death of his father the bad relationship with his father the death of his brother and then throughout the story in remembrance kind of found the sense of purpose and kind of found that like being with these friends these childhood friends and having like trying to get to the bottom of something really like lit a spark in them and i think it's really interesting the fact that like because you your wayne could have gone either way with the revelation that he was cursed. He could have either gone the guilt way, like I feel guilty because my father and my my brother are dead because of me, or he went like, "Hey, this is a this is like showing my dad was right. Like, there's good and evil in the world, and that this evil man, what he did to me, led to the death of people close to me. And now you have this you've seen firsthand, and it's I think it's really like kind of inspiring that Wayne is like reinventing himself in the face of all this tragedy, where you know he very well could have gone the other route or gone back to that life of monotony. Instead, he's like finding a new sense of purpose, which is really inspiring. I think you said it exactly. Uh, he does sort of feel like from this moment on, he's he's born again. Like he's something different than he was previously from this point on. He can never go back and see things the way that he did before. He can now only see things with this new this new set of eyes. And it's it's a gift that was given to him by by uh by raymond in his eyes yeah and that's a that's awesome because raymond Che's grandfather you know was really the one who got prevented you guys the the sweat lodge and then helped you interpret afterwards what he felt needed to be done you know and often in the face of tragedy and like really like the horrific side of humanity or this is past humanity but the horrific side of life people can either go two ways they can become very scarred very damaged and never come back for or they can decide they want to do right in the world and and combat that. So um, that's interesting that Wayne went that way. Thank you for the insight there. So Che, during this foray and into the plains and what you all found, your strengths really came out during all this. You're, I would hate to say it was almost like you were born for something like this with the route that you led in life. After all these revelations of what you saw happen, especially with Christina and finding out that in a way she was kind of a guide that led you all here how is that affecting you currently right now standing here with your friends so Che kind of um always felt directionless before you know it was like uh he was he was just kind of just going along with the flow and just just do just doing things just to just to do them not really with purpose or any sort of any sort of like really direction other than like oh you know he had an aspiration of getting you know a place of his own and just living out where he loves to be the wilderness and everything. And just kind of having a cabin out in the woods and on his, on the uh, 
property of the uh, natives. And, and like, that was really his only real goal, but he didn't know how he was going to get there, you know? And he, and when he could have been there much sooner, but he kept squandering whatever money that he did make, you know? So like, Che, che up and up until this point, he's just been kind of like directionless without any camaraderie or anything. So now he feels like this closeness to these guys because they've been through something together and he feels more resolute than ever before. Also, really pissed off. Like it just he just feels angry. And 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 I'm not even sure that he even knows why yet. But he's it's just left him with this burning just anger inside of him. Yeah, I was gonna ask you why he was angry, but that'd be a good thing to explore and find out because I I mean, look at what was revealed to you. I like how you point out because Che's vice was greed, if I remember correctly. I don't have mm-hmm. it from here. It was greed. And what you did was selfless. Does that make sense? You know, what you yeah. did right now was selfless, was for greater than you, was for your Didn't friend. really fit him anymore. Yes, exactly. And so it's like to see this man who kind of chased the dollar, who, who worked in the oil fields, who was doing janitor work just to kind of get what he wanted, which was seclusion and that cabin in the woods. Now you, you like, you kind of delved head first into the selfless service. Now, I don't even mean that in just that you led them through the fields and you kind of like tracked, but you went in there first. You know, you went in there with the flashlight. You start seeing the horrific signs of struggle that had been in there. And God knows what else had been in there. And to see now a man like Che, who I would say is when he puts his mind something to, to his mind to something, is a very dangerous person now be angry and driven with his friends. I think that's going to lead to a lot of interesting aspects of the character right there. Definitely. I can't wait to see what he's angry about. That's going to be something fun to explore for sure. So Alex, you're standing there and you see these snowflakes dropping. You have the business card of the man who left in your hand. What is going on in your head after you find out that what Calvin did to you how he's kind of responsible. He is responsible pretty much for where you're at now in life. What's going on in your head? Alex is pissed. He's spent, you know, the last 10 years trying to avoid all the horrible nightmares and horrible thoughts he's been having and the things he's been seeing. You know, it literally pushed him into a horrifying addiction that, you know, didn't completely end, but has been on hiatus since his parents picked him up off that park bench and he's been struggling with it. But now he's just angry, very, very angry. And he is not about to let this bullshit rule his life anymore. So when you, when you say he's angry and I like that line, you're not going to let this bullshit rule his life. Are you having the same effect pretty much that that had on Wayne and the fact that Wayne's like the old me's gone? It's now something new for it. I have a sense of purpose. Does that does that give you a more fire to become clean and stay away from being an addict, or or is it unchanneled anger right now? Is it just kind of boiling up in him, and he's not sure what the release is going to be or what's going to lead to? At this particular moment, it's just boiling up. He's just pissed. The fire behind him is not enough. He wants well, that, more. Yeah, and that's the scary thing too. That that fire's gone though. Now you know, like you don't, you never saw it come out from where you guys lit it you know it all caught on fire but like you don't even get the satisfaction of looking back and being sure that that place is gone which is also gives you an uneasy feeling when you look to your left back into the fields that you rode from the plains that you rode from and you don't even see smoke you just see the gray clouds and the snow that's gently falling michael the wrathful one 
the one who was full of anger that led him to a position of authority to channel that to change his life. After all this that you witnessed, what is going on in your head right now? Michael just feels kind of empty right now. Like, you know, after when you do something great or finish something important or just something big happens and a chapter's closed, whether it's something stupid like you finish a really good book or it's really important like you finish your last exam or whatever and you're like, what now? Like, I never expected to be in this place that I am right now. How will I, what will I do tomorrow? Will I just go to work, just pretend nothing happened, or uh, just, just live my life, like, whatever? Is, is, is that it? Was this the big thing that, you know, I'll always think about whenever I'm, you know, drinking alone and just processing it? Is this it? Is this going to be the defining moment of your life? Yeah. What is this? Is that sense of like exhaustion, almost emptiness? Yeah. Yeah. Fear. I would say fear. Like, like you said, you're going to be living with this, like for the rest of your life. Like there's no unseen what you saw. I mean, then there's the fear, like, how are you going to process it? How are you going to compartmentalize it? How are you going to rationalize it? Are you going to start doubting yourself? Are you going to start thinking you're insane? Are you ever going to feel like you said that drive, that, that determination that you felt with your friends, not but like a day ago? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like, you know, he finished his goal, essentially. And so now he has to do something else, find something else. Otherwise, he'll just uh, be lost. Yes. And I like that. There's a lot of people, including me in real life, who are like that, who's like, what's next? Afraid to stop. Because what happens when you stop, especially in a situation where you, like I said, you witnessed what you witnessed before. When you stop and there's nothing there, there's just you and your thoughts. And that's a scary thing. I'm sure if you saw something like you just witnessed right there. So you all are force standing there like i said your horses are tied behind you you have the supplies to set up a tent there's two tents so you two of you would have to share a tent to protect you from the snow it's about i'd say six in the evening it's definitely starting to get dark scenes on you guys all right how how are we gonna get set up then guys so uh would not really answer, but he probably would have been in motion already. Just, just kind of like he's not. We've been, we've been calm. We've been quiet. We haven't said anything to each other. You know, he's not looking to talk about it right now, and so he's just in motion and just already in the process of like setting things up, getting, okay. uh, getting tents put up, and then building a fire. Yeah, you all see Che just kind of going through like this very. I would almost say like military cadence, like just get everything set up how it needs to get set up. Like he's he's on autopilot right now in a way, not really saying too much. Now we can say you all decide to kind of keep to yourselves processing everything until the next morning, if that's what you would like. Or if you'd like a scene, you guys can go ahead and have one. I guess uh, Michael would try to do something like say, Alex, go ahead, help Che. You know, I'll set up tent two along with wayne okay and we're just gonna wait this out all right so you all both set up your tent alex and che you stay in one tent wayne and and michael you stay in another you guys have a silent meal of canned beans or something to that extent while you're sitting there around the fire it gets a little colder as the night goes on and you can definitely feel the snap of winter but you find warmth within the sleeping bags inside your tent and soon you fall asleep into a deep slumber. 
partially due to the mental exhaustion, but also the physical exhaustion of riding and all the work that you guys had done. You wake up the next morning and you hear the sound of Raymond, like up and at it, boys up and at it. And you see like your tense shake as he's like shaking the entrance of him, just kind of like to get your guys' attention. As you guys come out of the tent, you see Raymond's there with his pickup truck and he has the hitch with the horse trailer and the gentleman who he had leased the horses out to you guys has taken the horses and taken them in along with the saddle and you see Wayne is handing you guys each a cup of styrofoam cup of coffee it looks like they picked up from a diner and he tells you guys that he has a thermos in case you want some more you all get into the truck as he takes off and the truck again is silent and you can tell by the behavior and the body language of Raymond that he's respecting your guys's silence at the moment and there's a moment Wayne while you're sitting in the back with Michael and Alex and chased it in the passenger seat with them. But he looks in the rear view mirror, Wayne, and you see he kind of catches eye contact with you. And you see he just gives you a warm smile as he kind of kind of sense from you almost the the sense of purpose at that time. And he just kind of nods and he drives back to the Standing Rock Reservation. When you get to the Standing Rock Reservation and your cars are there that you drove in, you notice that Brian Eagle's truck is gone. And Raymond mentions in passing that Brian took off in anger after you all had left the next morning when he woke up and that he hasn't heard from Brian since then. You all respectively drive back to your places of living. You drive back to your trailer, Wayne. Che, you drop off Alex at his parents' house and drive back to your apartment. And Michael, you drive back to your apartment. After you get out of the shower, Michael, around noon, you hear a knocking on your apartment door. Hello? Who is it? Yes, uh, is this the residence of is this the residence of Michael? This is uh Jerry Hagberg. And you realize that the name Jerry Hagberg, you recognize him as a cop who recently retired from the Bismarck PD. He's kind of a as a legend can get in the Bismarck PD, meaning that he was a right. he was a Korean War vet. He kind of retired a couple years ago. You actually saw he was one of the officers that were at your graduation for the police academy. He's like, uh, is this the residence of Michael Gray? Uh, yes, sir. To what do I owe the honor? Did you open the door, by the way? Are you still talking through? Yeah, the- yeah, yeah. Oh, you opened open the door? The okay. Door. Yeah. You see before. Just, just like slightly to see if it's him, you know, with the chain. But when it's there, I yeah. hook it. Yeah, you see this man. He's wearing like uh, blue jeans. He has a plaid shirt tucked in with a belt, like kind of a larger belt buckle, leather belt. You see he has like cowboy boots on underneath and he's wearing like a tan winter jacket over and he has like a crew cut gray hair with a thick gray mustache. He looks to be about 5'11", maybe 170 pounds, 175 pounds, has really sharp gray eyes. And he's like, yes, son, I was wondering if uh, I have a moment of your time. Well, of course, come right in. Uh, coffee, tea. Uh, yeah, I'll take it's a the morning, of- right? Yeah, yeah, it's like noon. <laughs> I like to offer him beer. If okay. it's noon, I'll offer him beer. But yeah, I'll take a beer. Yeah, yeah. and you see, okay. he pulls out a. You see him pull out a pack of Marble Reds with a zippo out of his shirt pocket, and he like is right to have one in here. Yeah, sure, go ahead. You see him pull one out. You hear the click of the zippo as he lights it, and you smell the smoke as he blows it out. And he starts as you're going to get the beer. You see him walk by where you like keep your telephone at, like this little like telephone stand, and there's a picture of your graduating picture from the police academy. And he's like looking down. And he's like, huh, I remember that day. And he turns around as he handed him the beer and he's like, takes a sip. He's like, thank you. 
Ah, no problem. Feels like a lifetime ago. Does it really? Two years goes by pretty quick when you get to be my age. Ain't... <laughs> uh, fair he's enough. Like, he's like, listen, kid. And he goes in, can I have a seat? And he motions to the couch. Yeah. And he sits, sure. He sits down. He's like, I think you're going to want to have a seat, son. Uh, okay. Something happened? Well, I got a proposition for you. Well, I got someone who wants to meet you. Let me say that. Listen, since I've been retired, I've been working on retainer for this gal in the city. All right. Like, I don't know if I told you or not. I kind of kept it to myself, but when I was the last about six years, when I was on the force there, I was going to law school at night at university of Mary. Uh-huh. And, uh, now that I'm retired, kind of got hired up by this gal to represent her. I kind of, I do, it's not really lawyerly work, but I kind of, I'm a retainer with her. You'd say kind of provide a little security for her, kind of take care of her issues. Listen, I'm going to cut to the chase, son. Cause I know you probably don't want to hear my bullshit and sit here and pretend like our pals here. I'm just going to say something. We know you've been looking into Calvin Walkstetter. Yeah. He looks, looks at you for a moment and he sees a sizing you up. Listen, <clears throat> there are some people, including me, who think that guy was a very bad man. He was. Let me tell you this. And I don't want to say too much. I don't want to speak out of line because, like I said, I'm representing someone. But me and my uh, client were interested in stopping some things that he was involved in, maybe bringing some things to light. I think... I know the sort of idea of the things you're talking about. What I don't know is who your client is. And the last time someone from the city came with a proposition like this, well, I had no idea what I was getting into. I understand that. And that will be addressed to the person I represent is Calvin Walkstetter's ex-wife. I see. Yeah. I Listen, you guys have been ruffling some stuff up here recently and uh that's one way to put it yeah listen get your pals come over you can have a dinner at her house she wants to cook for you all she wants to talk to you all like i said i don't want to speak out of line she wants to get to know you all and trust me son she's a good fucking cook at least you'll get a warm meal out of that shit right uh yeah warm meals the last of my fucking problems right now i'm gonna be honest I was somewhere, just was yesterday, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. I saw a lot of bad shit related to the Walkstetters. And, you know, I might even be so inclined as to look into this just because I don't know how the hell I would even process this without getting some more information. But I can't say the same for my friends. Okay. I understand. I respect that. Listen, and he gets up with his beer and he walks towards the window in your apartment. He kind of like looking out as the snow is definitely falling more than it was falling the evening prior. He takes a sip of his beer and he turns around and he ashes in his empty beer bottle. It's like, son, every man sooner or later comes at a path in his life. I think you're at that path now. He said you saw some fucked up shit and that doesn't surprise me. This world is a confusing fucking place. When I came back from the Korean War, I didn't know what I was going to do in my fucking life. I had no damn idea. No idea. Until I saw a man get stabbed in a bar fight. And I realized that it was time for me to either act and see if I can stop shit like that from happening again. Or become like that man who was stabbed. And that man was your father, son. Either way, I'm sure whatever you will do would make your old man proud. Because because your old man, what happened to him that night, that I decided to do something with my life. Instead of dwell 
on the horrors that I saw myself, okay? All right. Uh, can I have some contact info? For, for sure. For sure, definitely. And you see him like he pulls out a business card out of his jacket pocket and hands it to you. And you see it says Jerry Hagberg Esquire. It has a fax and an office phone. It's like, how about this, son? And he like turns around the business card and he takes a pen out of his jacket pocket and he writes an address on the back and hands it to you and says, get your friends together. At least you can have a good dinner. She's making duck. Trust me, it's not worth missing out on, all right? All right. All right, Mr. Uh, Mr. Heckberg. And he hands out his, he puts out his hand and shakes it. And he turns yeah. around and he walks out. As Michael closes the door and he's sort of like, just almost like ironically laughs to himself. I saw a man get stabbed. Like, uh, like that even compares to, you know, what he saw. The insanity is just like, holy hell. Like, he's, <sighs> yeah, he's processing, right? It's still fresh. Even if it was your dad yeah. that he saw, you know, that was, oh, yeah. uh, it was still fresh compared to like, well, how's that compared to like anything that I witnessed at yeah. all? What does it make you feel, though, that someone came and basically said, like, just drop this kind of like bomb on you, though? I know you said the whole stabbing thing in yeah. your reaction, but yeah, the fact yeah. that- I think Michael's probably going to grab at this opportunity just because it's like a new goal for him or something like that. And, you know, he just likes having goals. He just likes being aimless. It's like a life vest, like a life vest like, that is giving him an out. You're not yeah. in that term. You're not in that ocean that of loathing and fear and just your thoughts and he's giving you an out i like that that's yeah. not enough yeah and it's also something like you know just meeting the wife you could get some context to all the things that were happening you know just find out more definitely because there's a lot of things that are were unspoken right there's a lot of things that were unsaid there's a lot of implications if you go all the way back to what charlie said to about Everything from the process church of Christ to like all these, like how many ties does this go through? Like how many layers of like what is out there? You got to think about this. And this is the beauty, I think, of a game like Chronicles of Darkness, World of Darkness or whatever is the fact that playing a mortal and having slowly the veal of like of yeah. reality pulled back. And you're starting to like what you, like what else is out there? I can only imagine if I in real life saw what your character saw and like the sanity, how how hard would it be to like hold on to that? So very good. What are you going to do at this moment now that he left this information for you as you're standing in the middle of your living room? I think we should set up a, like a phone tree thing for our group. Like when uh, one guy calls someone, then someone else has to call someone yeah. just because I, I don't think we have like conference phones or anything. So yeah, you can do that if you want to do that. Like, I mean, it's yeah. your call. Yeah, it's, it's just, it feels like it'd be vaguely, like, effective or something. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell them, oh, what day of the week is it? Is it a... It's a, uh, it will say it's a Sunday right now. It's a Sunday. Uh, I think the main thing I'll tell them is to meet me at the main, which is the bar where Alex works. Alex works, so... Uh, that I have an important thing to talk to them about, and uh, it relates to yesterday, sort of. Okay. So you all coordinated that. You all end up at the main, we'll say like at six at night, like the the dinner she set up was like at eight. So it's like six at night, and you guys are all sitting around a table right now at the main. You probably have a picture or whatever you're doing at the moment. Go ahead, scenes on you guys. Okay, guys, so... 
Around noon, this guy, Jerry Hegberg, uh, he came to my place. Uh, you probably don't know him, but he's sort of a legend of the Bismarck PD. And, you know, I'm sort of hesitant to say, tell you guys this, but I feel like you should know. He works for Lockstetter's ex-wife, and she invited us to dinner today at 8. No. No, that's it. No, I'm not going to force you guys or anything. I'm just want to say I'm going, and you know if you guys want to come with me. Are you serious? You're free. Yeah. Hell yeah. Why? Why would you want anything to do with that woman? She married Somewhere. a guy like that, and you want to go and meet with her? What if she's well, worse? Yeah, but what if she's better? What if she can give us information? Literally anything else is better. So okay. Well, then don't go. I just I don't, I don't think care. it's a good idea. Then don't go, Michael. Go. What what do you what are, what are you hoping to accomplish with this? Look, all yeah. I'm saying is that there's no strings attached. We go there, we get info, and we see what this is all about. That's is all it, I'm saying. Sounds pretty shady to me. Uh, bring your gun if you're feeling scared. I don't know. No, no, this makes perfect sense. Let's just go see what she has to say and be done with it. Right. I want answers. Exactly. Like we can't just leave it be. What is going on in your head right now, Wayne, with like this sitting at this table and kind of seeing like different reactions to this, which is absolutely perfect. Normal reactions from every single person. It's a normal reaction to have, right? How do you react like the day after you witness all this stuff and then hear this? So I'm really not sure what to think because it to me it doesn't feel over even after what we what we did and i want us i want to do whatever the guys want to do and it's hard for me because i'm not really sure like what the right move is the fact that che is just saying no wayne is like okay well maybe maybe no like maybe i have to maybe i have to speak up on che's behalf and, and let the others know that this is this is wrong this is like we shouldn't pursue this and then there's part of me that's like you know maybe michael and Alex are on to the right thing, and maybe there is more closure that needs to be needs to be reached. Maybe there's more, you know. Maybe there's some actual good that can come out of this. Maybe we can we can you know stop some of the hurt a little bit more if we if we just pursue this thing a little bit longer. So a couple of things I want to delve into there, and actually wrote these down so I could remember a couple of things that you said. One is you said you feel there's more to all this right like what makes wayne feel there's more to all this like what is it that's like rolling around his head like this isn't done like there's more like what what is it that spiritual like realization that there's good and evil or is it like more of what you found out during like your investigation that led to calvin or what is it that makes you feel that way it's both it's definitely his his newfound revelation that there is good and evil but it's also learning about christina and learning about these other people that calvin had hurt that it wasn't just amanda that he had hurt that other people who tried to step in his way were were victims too and there's there's probably lots of others that were if not directly murdered by him caught in his crossfire in some way maybe like i've been maybe like Alex has been maybe there's there's more that can be done here for sure for sure definitely and it's like if you think about it like Amanda like I hate to say this and I don't want to downplay Amanda's death 
But Amanda wasn't exposed to the stuff that other victims were exposed to during this. That's a very good point that you guys were investigating one lone death that occurred in California and you were just exposed to like all that shit that was in the very town that you guys reside in. Another thing too is I'm noticing that Wayne, like he did in the first arc, is trying to starting to feel like he is the the glue of the group. And what I mean by that is I mean like you hear like your your friend come with this proposition and he's a very driven person and he wants to, you know, that's how Michael is. And you can sense Alex's anger. He's like, no, I want to go there and find out what the fucking issue is. But then you hear Che's natural reaction, which I think a lot of people would react that way. And you feel like, okay, I gotta like moderate and listen to both sides of this. Is that coming back to that that is that is that tying into that spirituality and looking at like these are your pals, this is your purpose now in life? And do you feel like a caregiver in a way when it comes to these guys now? Kind of no. Like I definitely don't feel like I'm the glue. I definitely don't feel like I'm the mediator. I think it comes from a personal just these are my family, these are my pals. I can't let them go adrift. I can't let them separate. I have to for my own benefit, I have to try to maybe like, I don't know, convince them to, to just be on the same page about it or can convince each other to maybe hear each other out. But like, oh, I don't feel sure. like I'm, I'm responsible or have any power or sway over. Oh no, over I didn't mean like that mediator or anything like that. You know? No, no. I just mean like, like you said, they're your pals, right? Like the, I mean, you guys just went through some traumatic shit and like it's everything right now. And I would assume anyone who witnessed that shit and everyone is pretty fragile at the moment. Right. And their convictions are fragile and everything is like, I'm sure there's turmoil and it's very thinly, you know, like it's barely being controlled right now. What you guys saw, you have a junkie friend. You have a friend who has an atten- who has the tendency to want to be a loner, being Che. You have Michael, who you know who had anger issues and becomes very driven. And now there's you with this. And after experiencing something like that, we- weaknesses usually tend to take over to compensate. And uh, it's it's also kind of just like he's he's worried because he got so much from all this personally he took this next step into like personal growth or you know or so he believes and he doesn't want everybody to just be done with this he doesn't want them all to just go their separate ways and i think part of him is worried that you know they're they're just you know maybe we're done and we're just going to move on and like part of him is really scared that 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 can't happen you know well look at the last time that happened look at the last time you all went your own ways 10 years ago and look where you all ended up and you're almost at that breaking point right now you know but this time you know what's going on it wasn't forced upon you so very good insights thank you trey man i 100 percent understand his reaction especially his tendency you know wanting to be alone and wanting to be away from it and then also that anger and the only thing that you can still tie to welkstetter is someone who was married to that asshole who shared the last name ex-wife or current wife doesn't matter but just to like hear that name and the fact i totally am empathetic to his anger about that what is going on in your head right now hearing that michael like came to you guys with this and like seeing all this going uh, unfold in front of you Shay thinks Michael's a dumbass for even considering it. Straight up, he's like, you're an idiot. Like, that's what's going on in his head right now. You are so stupid. What if she, you know, he's all the worst case scenarios running through his head, you know? And so for him, it's like, he's like, no, that's that's ridiculous. You can't possibly want to do something like that because what if it's bad? What if it's this? What You know, like, there's, it's done. Let's leave it done. Why go any deeper at all? You know, and so for him, he has this like knee jerk reaction, like, no, like just immediate, like, and just completely baffled at the desire to see more. Like he can't even relate to that. And so that's what makes him just have this immediate, you know, just kind of reaction. Like 
out of character. I can totally understand wanting to have answers and understand things and so on and so forth. But Che is just like he is just so scared. Like he's you said he was becoming paranoid a little bit more, right? That yeah, like it's it's a little bit of fear, but also a little bit of like just anger, you know, just like you know the, those two things coming together is just like why would you why would you want to you know risk after everything we just did went through why would you want to risk worse or or the same thing or anything like that you know because if she's connected to this man in any kind of way who knows who mm-hmm. knows like that was the most weirdest like thing that he has ever experienced and the potential that that could happen again is is scary yeah it fucking very is and even think think in your bag in your jeep you have that eight millimeter reel you know what i mean that's still sitting back there and you have no idea what's on that fucking thing you know what i mean and it's like i'm sure for someone like che whose sole purpose in life beforehand was to like seclusion be left alone get what he wants right now being exposed to all that you lose a sense of control you know what i mean and then to put yourself in a situation where you're afraid like you said like like too many, like the name, all that shit. You're putting yourself again in a situation where you might have to see something like that. Or even though, you, yeah, I understand this fear. I think a lot of people would react that way for sure. Definitely for sure. Especially, like I said, the day after witnessing something like that. Yeah. So, Alex, you hear this. You're, you're already, you're, it sounds like Alex is full of anger right now at the moment when he hears that and he wants to do it. Give us a little insight into your head. Alex, at this point, he doesn't care about the risks. He just wants to figure this shit out. He's he's a little ball of angsty rage right now. You're cur- you're, you're cursed, right? That's why you feel that way. And I hate to downplay, like say something as just broad as like you're cursed, and I'm not going to use that in game, but meaning that your life, your your very everything, these dreams, the drawings, the feelings, the heroin, all that shit is still unanswered. I mean, it's answered but unanswered. Like, who could do that? Why could they do that? Where did they get the powers to do that? Is he the only one like this in this world? Highly doubtful. You know what I mean? Like all this shit. And you got someone who's like saying there's answers here and going for that. I totally understand his anger. 100%. Now, Michael, you sit here and you have brought this forth to your friends. I mean, these people, these people that you have gone through all this with, and you're seeing their different reactions right now. What are you thinking? Well, Michael sort of expected this because, you know, he just thought that that that's what basically going to happen you know some people are going to say no some people are going to be okay with it and some people will probably be on the fence but uh yeah like you said you know he's going and whoever decides to go with him he's gonna go that's just that's gonna be and i think that's like man i cannot express how much joy it brings me that like each character in here is like considerate of each other's like like their characters you know what i mean that friendship that bond of friendship it's almost like Che in his own way is like concerned about his fucking friends. Like, what are you fucking thinking? Why why are you going to put yourself in there? And even Michael's like, Hey, I won't force you to do it, man. If you don't want to, you know what I mean? You can go in and even like just how everyone's kind of processing this all together. So I'm going to give the scene back to you guys. Go ahead. Scenes on you. Okay, then. So who's coming? I am. I'm just going to just look at Che. Count me out. I'm not interested in anything she has to say. I'm going to go. Okay, then let's go. We'll brief later, Che. Yeah, if you're not fucking dead. As the others uh, head out to the car, I'm going to, like, hang back a second. So it's just, like, me and Che. And okay. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be like, I know you think it's the, it's the wrong move, but I'm just, I'm just going to go. Just, I just want to just see what this is all about. It's going to be fine. It's, it's going to be totally safe. Yeah, you don't know that. All right. Take care. You didn't of know, you didn't know what was going to happen down there, did you? None of us did. 
and it could happen again. You don't know. We don't even know what that was. And I'm not going to say anything to that. I'm just going to kind of like just turn around and just uh just walk out the door. And just kind of reluctantly, I'm going to hop into the back seat and, um, you know, zip my jacket up. And I'm kind of just like, shit, what is this? Oh, hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs Gameplay and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions so that your media could give the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.